Kia ora. Whoa, so bright. Shall I put my specs on? Let's just focus. The chance to come to church to get together and hear the word of God and worship together is a chance to actually cleanse us again. You know, we often during the week, we don't realize we start worshiping all sorts of things. Our focus starts to go this and go there. We watch Netflix. We are at work out there. The focus gets so muddled. And so, let's just close your eyes. Lord, begin to just let the worship that, that we have just encountered continue in our hearts and cleanse us. Begin to remove every other idol that has filled our minds and our souls. And we invite the Holy Spirit of truth to come. Lord, I have no, I have nothing really except what you have given me. And so just hide, hide me, all of us, and let your word be fully lifted up. Let your love just come through so clearly and distinctly in Jesus' name. Amen. Talk about teeth. You know, it's one of the most terrifying things for me is actually to go to the dentist. But God is good like that too. Because last two weeks ago, I went to the dentist and it took him a long time to come. I was waiting in the chair. You know, I had shared here before, 2006, I almost died in the dentist chair. So that was terrifying again for me, like, ah, where is the dentist? And it was just the nurse there standing. And then he, she started making conversation. She looks exactly my, like my niece, Jennifer. And her name is Jenny, too. And then she started sharing that she has been married for some time, but no kids. And then I just said, can I just pray for you and lay hands on your tummy? She's <laughs> Filipino. Oh, yes. And so I started praying that the Lord will come to them and give them babies. And she just, thank you, Jesus. She was a, she's a Catholic. And so... That kind of encounter is like so important eh? because you never know who God wants us to bless. So I'm going to call Matthew before me. Come, Matt. Uh, yeah, this, uh, this teaching today is called uh, The Case for Christ. And I titled that because I felt like today I should uh, encourage you to uh, consider uh, learning about apologetics. You know, I feel like it's one of the biggest hindrances that prevents Christians from being able to confidently express their beliefs and spread the word of God to people who don't believe. And to be honest, even the, the bare minimum of understanding is enough. Because to be frank, 
99% of people who like challenge you on your beliefs, uh, they have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, they're kind of clueless. There's a good chance they've never seen a Bible. And some Christians let themselves get trampled over by these people because they have no confidence expressing their beliefs and they don't know how to argue. And so I'm just going to say a couple of, uh, I guess, fundamental points and arguments that will kind of cover a lot of the stuff that you'll get. And, you know, what I've seen people challenge other Christians about. But before that, there's a one thing you must have covered. If you don't believe that the the Bible is the truth and everything inside it is, you know, the word of God, then you've already lost. You know, if you don't realize that the Bible is one of the best records of world history and of the genesis of the last 2,000 years of history, you'll find that, you know, it's hard to convince anyone of the legitimacy of it. And, you know, unless they get some kind of divine revelation. You know, the, the first argument, you know, it's common that people will completely state that, you know, the whole Bible is fiction, you know. You know, it's written by just like, you know, some jokesters just for fun. But you have to be ignorant to say that. Because uh, there's a man called Josh McDowell. He wrote a really good book on the defenses of, uh, you know, the Bible. And it's called, uh, uh, with evidence that, oh, oh, yeah, it's called, uh, That Demands a Verdict. And it's sequeled, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He pointed out to even how respected non-believers wrote about Jesus. You know, there's 16 total historians apart from the scripture that reference Christ. Uh, he said, almost everything about Christ we can find without ever going into the New Testament. Uh, another author, Jonathan Morrow, he points out in his book, Questioning the Bible, uh, there's more evidence that Jesus lived than Julius Caesar. You know, when you're doing history, you want uh, early and you want eyewitnesses. And the gospel writers give you both, Morrow explained. Uh, they investigated everything carefully. They have the ring of truth to them, and they include embarrassing details, he continued. You know, every time they get rebuked by God and... And Jesus, um, yeah. Uh, oh, one supposition of the scholars is the closer in time to the writer that was to the events, the more likely his account is accurate. Morrow pointed out, uh, you know, respectable biblical writers, Paul and Luke, you know, and they interviewed the apostles and knew many others who witnessed Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And the writers Peter, John, and James actually live with Jesus. You know, so it's kind of hard to get closer than that. One of the second arguments is that you know uh, the Earth is 4.5 billion years old. You know, you know, if science can, you know, with the, you know, they say like, you know, all oh, the Bible says it was created in seven days. You know, the world wasn't 4,000 years old. Or, and this is what uh, a man called Saint Augustine of Hippo, one of the early church fathers, had to say on the matter of this. The direct quote from him, or from one of his writings, uh, is not infrequently happens that something about the earth, about the sky, about other elements of this world, about the motion and rotation, or even the magnitude and distances of the stars, about definite eclipses of the sun and the moon, about the passage of years and seasons, about the nature of animals, of fruits and stones, and of other th such things, 
may be known with the greatest certainty by reasoning or by experience, even by one who is not Christian. It is too disgraceful and ruinous, though, and greatly to be avoided that he, you know, the person who isn't a Christian, uh, should hear a Christian speaking so idiotically on these matters. As if in accord with the Christian writings that he might say that he could scarcely keep from laughing when he saw how totally in error they are. In view of this, and in keeping it in mind, constantly while dealing with the book of Genesis, I have in so far as I was able to explain in detail and set forth for consideration the meanings of obscure passages, taking care not to affirm rashly some one meaning to the prejudice of another, perhaps better explanation. And basically what he's saying there is, uh, don't, uh, when something happens that, you know, might contradict the Bible or seem like it wouldn't fit, you know, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't cover your eyes and ears and deny what you see. When the Bible says the earth was created in seven days, it might not mean God made the world in 44, like 144 hours. Uh, what is time to God? You know, does days just mean a period of time? I don't know if they could even comprehend, you know, the people who God uh, revealed the Bible to, if they could comprehend how big a billion was. You know, so did he just simplify it when he conveyed it to our minds? And the third argument is how can God send people to hell if he is so loving? Uh, God is more than just love. Uh, God is holy and he is perfect. To get in the mindset to tackle this issue, uh, just close your eyes and imagine, you know, some raspberry schweppes spilt on your carpet, you know, spilling coffee on your desk, soaking all your sketchbooks. Or, you know, year six of primary school, you get brand new skate shoes. And, you know, they're so white, they're hard to look at on a sunny day. You know, you wear them every day, every week. But you're an idiot and you like to play in the swamp just around the corner and climb on the branches and you lose your footing for a second. But you recover, but one of your feet uh, touches the water. And it's coated in, you know, bog sewage water. And that one shoe never looks the same again. You know, that kind of angry stress you feel towards, you know, stains and imperfections is similar to how sin looks to one who is uh, pure. You know, when you sin, it's a rejection of God. And, by separ and that separation causes, or that causes can only be bridged by the sacrifice of Jesus. You've got to be in a state of grace with God. And the final argument is probably one of the more kind of ruthless ones they use against Christians. And that's basically to, they'll really bring it up in any situation, really to bash you over the head with it and to keep you quiet. And it's mostly that the, the Catholic Church is a hotbed of predators, you know. In completely unrelated situations, you've always heard it, you know, the snipe little remark. Yeah. And this is usually something that goes uncontested. You know, like, you know, it's kind of hard to argue. People don't really say much. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's it. You know, and I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not making uh, excuses for it either. You know, for the people who infiltrate the church and they, you know, prey on vulnerable people. But for an organization, at least in America, the church is almost twice as safe as a public school. You know, it's actually crazy what, they, what happens in America public schools. You know, well, it isn't the best. You know, the church is better at keeping out offenders, better than the, you know, the government and police background checks. 
hopefully thanks to God mostly. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to be, you know, sure in your faith and have the ability to, you know, correct misinformation and misunderstanding about Christianity and about what you believe, I suggest looking at the writings of, you know, the early church fathers like St. Augustine, you know, who are probably one of the most intelligent Christians, you know, probably like second to Peter at least. You know, and also being able to know the Bible is a big advantage due to the fact that, you know, people don't know how to understand it like Christians do. You take it for granted, really. You know, I've seen people, you know, their whole view of Christianity. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the whole view of Christianity is based on, like, a cherry-picked verse, you know, on the middle of a, from the middle of a parable. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's not literal. It's, you know, it's like a little story to help you understand a bigger concept. And they think, you know, it's like a direct command for all Christians. You know, it's like, it's he's like, I'll kill him. And like, wow, man, how can Christians believe that? <laughs> you know, so always be sure to, you know, check the context when people, uh, you know, when a non-believer really tries to quote the Bible and throw a scripture in your face. Because what's most likely to be the case, you know, they, you know, they Google a scripture that makes Christians look bad. You know, like, you know, bad things the Bible say on Google. <laughs> yeah. That's usually kind of, uh, that'll help you get through, you know, tough times when people kind of harass you about your faith. Yeah, that's it. There's a marked change in Matthew's sharing. is a maturing of thinking and belief. And... I'm always excited when, when young people share, share from the word and from their faith because it's fresh and it's often unpretentious. It's good for us older ones to hear because it keeps us in check. Thank you, Matt. That's, that is a very piercing encouragement to actually study what we believe. Because believing goes before studying. But to study what we believe already is, is another step. Let's open 1 John chapter 4. Matthew has been focusing on the person Jesus. And I will continue. Because the thing that I feel the Holy Spirit is saying, I had two messages last night at 12.30, I finished, and another message came in. Oh my goodness, it's hard when it's like that. But as I came out of the shower, the Lord said, focus on me. And Matthew has given me the, what do you call it, prelude to that. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7 to 10. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, just open to that. Don't be lazy. It's the word of God like he says. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. And knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Verse 10 is the summarized definition of love. You know, love is so vast. Often we're too scared to talk about it because it's true. It's so vast. Often if we try to talk about it, we look like we are hypocritical. But the thing is, God has made love into something so simple for us to understand. You don't have to go through schools to understand love. What I love about Christianity or following Jesus, it doesn't matter where, the, where our IQ is. He makes us, he takes us up like that. When we tie ourselves to the living God, the, the most brilliant mind, he takes us there. Verse 10 is the this, this definition of love. Love is, God has loved us, that's love, and sent us his son as a sacrifice. That is love. Often we want to look for, for a definition. He has loved us. What it's saying is, just open your heart and let him love you. Just because you're already a Christian for many years, doesn't mean you are still open to him loving you. It takes every second, every moment to open our hearts to be loved by him. Because our hearts are so deceitful, we can close our hearts just like that. Yes, I received Jesus 20 years ago. But are you, is your heart still open? Is your heart still soft, melting with his love? Here, today, we're not going to talk philosophically. We're going to look at different acts of Jesus. You know this, the book that Matthew mentioned, Josh McDowell? It's one of his books that really convinced me that Jesus is the Son of God. Because I think that the, the subtitle of the book is, Is Jesus a lunatic or is he the Son of God? I read that at the age of 16. He made it so simple and I thought, Jesus cannot be a lunatic. He has to be the Son of God because he cannot be just ordinary. Find that book, Josh McDowell. So Jesus has made love a very clear thing to us through different acts. We know already, we testified about it. But please let your mind be refreshed. This is how our mind gets so dull because God loves me. Remember that his word. That's why I always ask you to read the word of God. Why? Because it is living. What did Matthew say? If you do not really believe the Bible as the word of God, you're already lost. If you, as a Christian, already do not believe that the Bible is the word of God, you're already lost. I will never go back to that place because that's my original contention with the Father, God, is that his word is half-truth. Until I say to him that I believe no matter what. Because I couldn't receive that Jonah was swallowed 
by a whale, that they could walk through the Red Sea, the Israelites, I couldn't. Until I decided that I believe everything, I was safe. I wasn't safe until I believed. Okay, let's have a look. The different ways Jesus expressed his love. So lovely. Let's have a look. Luke 18, verse 15 to 17. Cutting red tape or brushing off protocol and let children and mothers run to him, onto his lap to be blessed. We know this one is so simple. I love this. This is love. Luke 18, verse 15 to 17. <clears throat> be helping others they are new and still learning to open the Bible. We Christians have to be so aware of that. <clears throat> so there we go. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Imagine those mothers. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Whew, the self-importance. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Do not stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. If we are too clever and continue to argue with the word of God, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the condition of entering the kingdom of God. Stay as a little child. This kind of love is the simplest kind of love. They put children and young people as a priority. Next one. I'm just going to go through quickly. You know what? Take what, what speaks to you today, okay? And some of the things that, that we will go through here, you would have experienced. And with that, just take it and let, let it explore your heart again. Let it take you to the place of being grateful like you were in the first place. The next one is John 13, 23. Letting his affectionate disciple, John, lay his head on his chest. And letting Peter, the audacious cheeky Peter, to come and walk on the water. <clears throat> John 13, 23. It's good to read the word of God. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom or chest, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John. If you see the famous painting of the Last Supper, have you seen that? You would see John laying his head. It's so famous in Christianity that John loved doing that so simple Jesus just let him today if, if any man do, does that to another man <laughs> okay this is pure love John was a thinker if you read the book of John you feel he's so deep philosophical he was introverted he, does, he did things cautiously I love John. I, I, I relate to John. And then there is Peter. You know, sometimes we look at people and we divide them into certain 
personalities. I like those and I li don't like those. Some people, because they're so introverted, they don't like extroverts. Because they think extroverts are arrogant, not thinking. They're so not true. Peter is the opposite of John. He's a man of action, impulsive, crude sometimes, sometimes impolite. John is a, John is a thinker. Peter is a doer. Matthew 14, verse 22, 31. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be so excited about your words. You imagine if you cannot find the word of God anywhere. We are so indulgent. We find the word of God every second, every moment. We can open the word. You know what? There will be a time that you will not be able to find it. Not so much by the absence of the Bible, but the absence of revelation. When the word means nothing to us anymore, that is terrifying. Because there's nowhere else you can go. Start asking the Lord, give me that sense to treasure the written and the preached word of God. Cursed are those who are living without the word of God. Let us be blessed people. Matthew 14, 22 to 31. This is an amazing story that you all know. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Okay, cut a long story short. They were in the boat, the disciples. Jesus wasn't with them. And then a storm came, right? And they were terrified. Suddenly, Jesus appeared walking on the water. And verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, says extrovert Peter, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, No, you have to grow first. Be mature first until you know the word of God inside out. Now, what did he say? Come. Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. Peter walked on the water. The other 11 didn't. And then he started to sink because he saw the wind and he started to be afraid. Jesus said, and then he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? It wasn't, it wasn't an anger, in anger. Jesus was saying, come on, you're doing so well, then you doubt it. I love this. Peter did not seek God or fast first, did he? He just got cheeky and asked, ask me to come if it was you. And he did. Jesus loves all personalities. Because in every personality there is faith. John has that deep, deep love that he treasures in his heart. Peter, he expresses everything. That's love. You might think, oh yeah, but that is love. And that is how we should do as well. To different personalities, 
those who are extroverts, be patient with the introverts and the more cautious ones. Those who are in introverts and more cautious, be patient with the cheeky ones. Your children. Jesus did that. Simple. Loving often is so simple. Letting someone lie on your shoulders. That's loving. Smile to someone There's, you meet on the road. One thing I don't like about the West, Auckland, people don't smile as easily. <laughs> I love South Auckland. Hey, g'day. It's kindness. It's love. Keep it up. Do not try to be so cool and indifference is not attractive. Third, Jesus expressed his love by Luke 7, verse 36 to 48, letting a broken prostitute anoint his feet in front of prestigious religious leaders. Luke 7, verse 36 to 48. Will you let that? Will you let a homosexual come to you and, and give you a big hug? Jesus would. He doesn't, con he doesn't condone the way of life. But Jesus died for that person too. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house. Wow, the Pharisee had a party and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there. Why did she come to a religious leader's house? She would not otherwise because of Jesus. I want people to do that because of me, because I have Jesus. I don't, I don't want sinners avoid me because I am so holy. They will be horrible. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Who would be more? thankful who who would be more thankful for having their debt white the one who owed the most true prophets will recognize not the sin but the heart of the person Robin preached last week 
it is our hearts that God sees. It's not how together we are. It is our hearts. If you have been, huh, if you remember how much you sinned and how often you fell in sin, then Jesus forgave you every time. That will help you and me to stay thankful. Remembering how we sinned and how we have been forgiven enlarges our hearts, softens our heart every time, stops us from being religious and hardened, stops us from being cynical to the word of God. Why? Because we cling on him, knowing where we came from. Next, setting free the tormented Gadara men. You know, the, the demonized men. Luke 8, verse 25 to 35. This is just reading the word of God, really. He's focusing on Jesus. You know, he had mental torment, self-mutilation and isolation. There's some of us that had been there. We probably were never fully possessed like him. But we know what mental torment is. Luke 8, 25, 35. They sailed to the re region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it has seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, or 2,000, 2,000 demons. He replied, because many demons had got into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. Poor pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came, oh Lord, I always say protect Bucky. When the demons came out, you know, the demons can go into animals, eh? Pray for your pets. Just saying. When the demons came out of the men, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. You know, when I was a kid, I used to, to listen to this story. When it came to that place and was in his right mind, I would go... Because even as a kid, I understood. I understood. When your mind 
had been so tormented. And then peace came. Please remember that. The difference between when you were tormented and when you have peace. Jesus has given us peace. Do the same to others. Do not avoid depressed people. Do not avoid those that look tormented. You have the answer. Sometimes it takes time. But do to others what Jesus has done to us. Do it. We can no longer just sit and watch and enjoy our peace. Make Jesus known. You know what? That's why, that's why I love praying for women who, who are barren. Why? Because I had difficulties having babies and carrying babies. I know the heartache of going to baby shower, running baby showers because I was a pastor already. But I would lose my baby every time. That's why I will always pray that the Lord give them babies. Do unto others what has been done to you. And don't fall asleep. <laughs> Do not fall asleep. Now, I'm just going to go to the next one that we will be focusing on. The other one was just an introduction. <laughs> Peter. Jesus' salvation process for Peter. This is an this is incredible thing for me. This is love. Rebuking Satan in Peter. Jesus loved Peter. There was a part when Jesus rebuked Satan in Peter. Remember? Mm. When was that? Matthew 16, 22 to 27. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. Jeff to read this one. Matthew chapter 16, 22 to 27. And then I'm going to ask Robin to read Luke 22, 31 to 34. Yes, to 27. I'll go back a few from yeah from that time. Thank you. So Jesus was sharing that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer in the hands of the elders. Peter, 
was nice. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned around and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. This is love. Jesus was loving Peter. We will see later. You only have human concerns. Jesus rebuked him and lifted him from just human concern to God's concern. We cannot live in that human concerns. We cannot live in that level. If you live in human concerns level, you will miss your calling. You miss everything that God has for you. You miss him talking to you. Why? Because your ears are blocked with human's concerns. Jesus would come and rebuke us as Jesus did to Peter. Because Peter was being nice. No, you cannot die. You cannot suffer. Luke 22, verse 31, 34. This is still Peter. This is still the process of Jesus saving Peter.34? Okay. Jesus said to Simon, which is Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, all of him. Satan has asked permission from Jesus. Do you know Satan would do that to any of us, about any of us? What did Jesus say there? But I have interceded. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. First, Jesus had to deliver Peter from Satan. And then Jesus shared that. The devil has asked for you. If Jesus didn't do that, if Jesus didn't rebuke Satan out of Peter, Peter would have joined the traitor. Let's have a look. John 13, 21 to 26. You know when Jesus was prophesying over Simon Peter, that Satan has asked to sift all of your being as a wheat, he was at the last Passover. Or communion. Judas. In John 13. Verse 21 to 26. Is at the same. Passover. I read it. 
after he had said this, because Jesus has said, one of you will betray. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, which is John, that laid his head on Jesus' bosom, asked him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, John asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do it quickly. The same Satan that spoke through Peter. But with Peter, Jesus was able to rebuke Satan out of him. Judas, Jesus let him go. Why? Because Judas has harbored this thing against Jesus for some time. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he has harbored his own human concerns, wanting to be great, wanting Jesus to be the king of Israel. He has harbored these human concerns. He, does, he has not been harboring God's concerns. He was busy to make something of himself. He was busy to plan to make a name for him through Jesus. Be careful what we harbor in our hearts. And be careful that we do not build in our hearts a distaste or detest. Is it detest? An attitude that is testing correction from the Lord. Peter was saved by Jesus' rebuke. That is part of his love. So we must go become mature. Embrace his correction as well as his encouragement. That is love too. That is love that delivers us from the evil one. That is love that delivers us from hell. Don't be too precious with Jesus Christ. He died for us. Let him. Whatever he does with us, it's love. That is at the same Passover meal they had together. Interesting, eh? What terrifies me was, as soon as Jesus gave the bread to Judas, entered. Satan into him. Satan and our sin gets exposed often during communion. If we turn our hearts to the Lord, that's why communion, you know, every time though the one that is leading communion always says, let's just ask God to examine our hearts. That's because of that. To let the Lord either to encourage or to rebuke or to correct us. Whatever he wants to do, let him do it. If Jesus did not cast out Satan's thoughts from Peter, 
if Jesus didn't rebuke and warn him and intercede for him, he, I'm sure, would have ended up joining Judas to total destruction and betrayal. So embrace discipline and correction as part of the love of God for us. Do not indulge. Stop struggling about it. Just stop. Just say, Lord, that is your love. I take it. And then the last part. Jesus forgives and reinstates Peter. This is a special love and perfect understanding about men, men folk, men, the masculine part of humanity. <laughs> G- mm. Peter had betrayed Jesus. Judas had killed himself. Jesus had died on the cross. So Peter was so down. John 21, verse 15. Jesus actually, that's part of of the story. Peter took all his friends fishing, back to fishing. Because that was his job before Jesus came. And there was no fish. And then a man appeared and told them to cast their net on the other side. And they caught so many fish. That was Jesus. And Jesus made breakfast for them. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. What's your dad's name again, Rob? Bruce. Robin, son of Bruce. Or Jeff, sons of, son of Spencer. Do you love me more than this? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. What was Jesus doing? He is ordaining Peter to be an apostle and pastor. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He was hurt because he remembered his betrayal of Jesus. He remembered how he ran away from the cross. He remembered he left Jesus at the height of his suffering. He was hurt with shame. What did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Meaning I've made you a shepherd. There's reinstatement. Jesus reinstated the man, Peter. And what I learned about men is it's important for them after they have failed. Women too, but I think with men it's it's quite poignant. They are the leader of the household. By watching my dad, my husband, people always say, oh, man's ego. God made them like that. God made them like that. Because they are are the identity of their family. Uh, Peter reinstated. 
was reinstated by Jesus. How incredible. That's Jesus expressing his love. And the highest expression of Jesus' love is the cross, as we all know. In the whole world for centuries, followers of Jesus is known by the symbol of the? Followers of Jesus is known by the symbol of the? Cross. More than the fish, the cross. When I was young, I've shared this story before. I so wanted a cross necklace. My dad didn't let me. I was about 14, I think. And that time, you know, the hippie thingy, cross was the thing they, they wore. I don't know what for. And I wanted one. And my dad said, <laughs> hold on, let me buy a, a miniature electric chair <laughs> for you to wear. <laughs> I said, what? Do you know that the cross is actually like the electric chair used to put to death criminals? Exactly. Imagine wearing a miniature electric chair as your necklace. We have made the cross so pretty. The cross is the symbol of God's love. It's not pretty. It's gruesome. Real love is gruesome sacrifice. Is far from lovey-dovey. The simplest example is when someone whom you have prayed for, healed, delivered, trained, discipled, healed from shame of multiple horrific sins, nurtured to sound mind, turned around and accused you of being a false prophet or of corruption in ministry, when all you have done has been to work extra jobs so the church and Bible school you are leading can keep running. So your students can have free tuition to attend Bible college. Facing this, your heart would bleed, bleed and you want to scream. Yet you have to shut your mouth and not defend yourself so that your accuser did not have his ugly secrets paraded around because that is the job of a pastor and a leader is to protect the sheep no matter what that is love that is gruesome and it will face all of you leaders and you have to make a choice as Jesus did In the meantime, your name was being trampled among churches and other leaders without a chance to defend yourself. I don't speak out of vacuum. In the meantime, you, the Holy Spirit was telling you to keep interceding for the accuser. And most of the time, the accusers get restored. And you are forgotten. But guess what? Your reward is Jesus. Stand. Let's stand. Thank you, Father.
just go to the place where Jesus has most poignantly shown his love for you. Go back to that place. You know how to go to that place. And just begin to thank him again. Father, we thank you. Take us back to that point where we have received most poignantly your forgiveness, your deliverance, and your healing. Take us back. We look to you and we thank you for the forgiveness that keeps coming. We make so much mistake. We still will make so, much, so many mistakes. But your forgiveness is always there to reinstate us. Come again, Lord. Just wash over us this morning. But I pray, I pray this morning that you turn each one of us into an incredible vessel. It will bring the same love, healing, deliverance, freedom, hope to people that you will bring to our path. Turn us, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Just lift up your hands as we pray. Just receive. Come, Lord. Just fill us with that power from on high. Even if we have done this before, that you began to renew the anointing in us and upon us. Renew the love we have for you. That we will turn around and meet those who are waiting for healing. Who are waiting for deliverance. Who are waiting for us to come and touch them through the power of your name. I pray that none in this place will be lost. But everyone will bring the lost, will bring healing, deliverance, will bring the gospel, the message of salvation to others in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.